the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, here we learn that God decided to create man and woman in his own image and to have them rule over the rest of his creation. Now, if this were all that we were told about the creation of mankind, we would have to assume that the Lord created man and woman simultaneously. I mean, if you're not given any more information, that's the way it certainly appears, but that's not the case. In Genesis 1, God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the flesh of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. When God said, our image, what did he mean? We are not made in the image of angels, so who was he talking to? Well, he was talking to himself, wasn't he? We're made in the image of God, the triune God. And certainly Adam was not of them, so the creation wasn't complete until God made Eve from Adam's rib. And in so doing, God created a special relationship between husband and wife that can be loosely compared to that between the father and the son. It's a relationship that has been terribly damaged ever since the fall. But as we walk in the Spirit, He'll help us to taste that wonderful relationship with our spouse that God originally intended. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our subject in this series is the biblical marriage. Last session, Pastor Steve finished the first message in the series, which was from Ephesians chapter 5. The focus was on the spirit-filled marriage. Toward the end of that chapter, Paul quoted Genesis chapter 2. So let's look at that chapter to discover God's original design for marriage. In his book on marriage, author Gary Inrig tells the story of a very irate customer who sent an angry letter to a do-it-yourself company. Here's what the letter said. Dear sir, I have built a birdhouse according to your stupid plans. Not only is it too big, but it keeps blowing out of the tree. Signed, Unhappy. A few weeks later, Unhappy received this reply from the president of the do-it-yourself company. Dear Unhappy, please accept our apologies. We accidentally sent you a sailboat blueprint. It may not be much consolation, but if you think you're unhappy, you should read the letter from the man who finished last in the Yacht Club regatta in a leaky birdhouse. Now, silly stories like this only illustrate the importance of following the right set of blueprints and designs if you want the end product to work properly. And that's true across the board, whether you're building a sailboat or a birdhouse or a marriage. You have to follow the right set of blueprints or you're going to end up in trouble. So having begun a study on marriage last week, this morning I'd like us to look at what the Bible has to say 
concerning God's original design for marriage, the divine set of blueprints for a healthy marriage. It's found in Genesis 2 because in Genesis 2, we are told the story of the first marriage between Adam and Eve. And the reason that this is such an important study for us is because many Christians get married without any understanding of how God designed marriage to function. And you know what? It shows in their marriages. Their marriages are often in serious trouble because they have never considered God's blueprints concerning marriage, specifically why he created marriage in the first place. And how they are to pattern their relationship after God's original intention for marriage. Now, before we look at our passage in Genesis chapter 2, I want to remind you of what we learned last week in our opening study of this series on marriage. Because really, last week, folks, was foundational. If you were not here, you really need to get the CD and listen to it. One of my objectives in last Sunday's message was to try to dispel the erroneous belief that the way to improve your marriage is by directly working at making your marriage better. That doesn't work. That is not the way to enhance a marriage. And the reason I say this is because there is no such sacred entity as a marriage that stands alone, separate, and independent from the two people who make up that relationship. So, You cannot work on improving your marriage. You can only work on improving yourself as an individual. The better individual you are, the better marriage partner you will be. And for a believer in Christ to improve as an individual simply means that you are growing in your relationship with the Lord Jesus, that you are maturing daily in your walk with him, that you are becoming a more committed follower of Christ. In other words, if you want a better marriage, then you have to put some sanctified effort into becoming a better, more devoted disciple of the Lord Jesus. The the bottom line is this. Only as we become better disciples of his will we become better husbands and wives. And the key passage of Scripture that specifically addresses how spirituality affects The kind of spouse God wants us to be is Ephesians 5.18, where Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be controlled by alcohol, but be under the control, the domination of the Holy Spirit. And we do this by filling our minds with the Spirit's written word, meaning the Bible. The Bible is the Spirit's written word, and we fill our minds with the truth of the word with an attitude that says, Lord, I am committed to this truth. I am in submission to you to obey this truth. That is to say, when we are controlled by his word, then we are controlled by him. When we do that, Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 5 that we will be more Christ-like in our attitude and behavior, and that will evidence itself by the way we treat our spouse in that we will, watch this, we will humble ourselves by serving them rather than being selfish and expecting them to serve us. And so according to Paul, a spirit-filled husband will serve his wife by loving her. He explains Ephesians chapter 5, 
Starting at verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself, the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now here Paul explains exactly what this kind of love for a husband entails. It entails sacrificially giving himself up for his wife as Christ sacrificially gave himself up for the church, his bride, with the objective being the same thing as our Lord's objective. A husband is to help his sinful wife be more holy and more like Jesus. That's the bottom line. That's why Jesus died to sanctify his bride, the church. That's why a husband gives his life up for his wife. So gentlemen, to love your wife as Christ loved the church is to die to your selfishness, your selfish desires. And the only way you're ever going to do that is by being filled with the spirit. Otherwise, there is no hope. We're too selfish apart from the control of the spirit of God. Likewise, a spirit-filled wife will serve her husband by responding to him in the same manner that the church responds to Christ. And so Paul says in chapter 5 of Ephesians, starting in verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Now here Paul says that a spirit-filled wife is going to serve her husband by responding to him as the church responds to Christ. How is that? By submitting to her husband. Out of obedience, note this, and submission to Christ. He may not be the kind of person that she can respect in character. He may not be the kind of person that is on the same page spiritually as her. And she knows that what he does is wrong. It's not wise. Unless he's telling her to do something that is a violation of scripture, she is to submit to him. And she does it out of submission to the Lord. That's what makes this all possible. Just as the church submits to Christ, so a wife submits to Christ by submitting to her husband. So just as a husband must love his sinful and flawed wife, so a wife must submit to her sinful and flawed husband. Doing this, as I said, out of submission, out of obedience to Christ himself, even when she doesn't feel like submitting. And the reason that this is the way that husbands and wives both are to behave is because as Paul goes on to explain at the end of this chapter, that marriage is a divine illustration. It's a picture, it's a parable of Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. Notice once again, verses 31 and 32, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, Paul says, it's great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So when a husband and wife fulfill their, their God-given roles in their marriage, they are giving glory to God by putting on display for all to see Christ's relationship with his own church. Now, I hope every husband and wife who heard last week's message went home, as I urge you to do, and discuss with each other what you need to do to be a better servant towards one another. I hope that you did that. If not, do it today. 
But remember, you will never be a better servant, better servant husband or a better servant wife, unless you are walking by the Spirit. So it is essential, not optional, but essential to make sure that you are in the Word of God daily, filling your minds with biblical truth, with an attitude that is surrendered and in submission to that truth and to Christ's lordship, which means, and here's the key, that you are applying that truth to your life. You see, keep in mind, we don't walk in the Spirit simply by knowing what the Bible says. There are a lot of people who know what the Bible says. We walk in the Spirit when we receive what the Bible says and we apply what the Bible says to our lives. That's key. Now, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago this morning, I want us to continue our series on marriage by looking at God's original design for marriage, which he revealed in Genesis 2, when he brought together the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. You see, it's in the story of the creation of marriage where God presents, note this, not only the first marriage, but he presents his intentions for all marriages. See, these are his blueprints for a successful marriage. Follow these blueprints and you'll have a great marriage. At least we could say you will function as God wants you to function as a spouse. Otherwise, you're going to try to have a marriage based on what you think is best, what the world tells you, what your own flesh tells you, what psychology tells you. And in the end, you'll be very dissatisfied with the end product, just like that irate customer who tried to build a birdhouse with the wrong blueprints. So learn what the divine design for marriage is, follow it, and enjoy a taste of heaven on earth. So I invite you to open your Bibles or look over on the overhead if it's up there, Genesis chapter 2. And I want to read to you what God says concerning the first marriage. We'll not get through all of this today, but I want you to see it in its total setting. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, it's important to note that this is not the first time in Genesis that we read about the creation of man and woman. Back in Genesis chapter 1, God revealed the story of his creation of the heavens and the earth, as well as everything on the earth, including man and and woman. So we read, if you look back, Genesis 1, starting at verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, here we learn that God decided to create man and woman in his own image and to have them rule over the rest of his creation. Now, if this were all that we were told about the creation of mankind, we would have to assume that the Lord created man and woman simultaneously. I mean, if you're not given any more information, that's the way it certainly appears, but that's not the case. That wasn't the way it happened, because in the very next chapter, God specifically reveals not a second or separate account of Adam and Eve's creation, but rather what he does is he he gives us in chapter 2 some important details about the creation of the first man and woman that he did not mention in chapter 1. And the reason that he didn't do this, note this, is to explain the unique relationship that every husband and wife are to have. In chapter 2, God is explaining the kind of relationship that every husband and wife is to have. In other words, God's purpose in revealing the first marriage of Adam and Eve is to establish the divine pattern that he wants every marriage to follow. That's why he gives us this revelation here. So this is a rather significant portion of Scripture. See, regardless of how challenging your marriage has been up to this point, if you will commit yourself to following God's original design for marriage revealed here in Genesis 2, you'll find your marriage functioning as God intended it to function. At least I can say you will function as the kind of spouse you should be. Now, the way that this scripture passage unfolds is that in giving us the accounts of Adam and Eve's creation and the creation of, of marriage, their marriage to each other, God reveals that he created marriage for two purposes. He had two purposes in mind. This morning, we're just going to get into the first purpose for marriage. Next week, we'll see more of that, and Lord willing, we'll cover the second purpose for marriage. So let's begin. First purpose for marriage that we discover in these verses is that God created marriage for our good. He created it for our good. Verse 18 says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good For the man to be alone, I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Now, if you were reading through Genesis for the very first time and you came to this verse, this would sound shocking to you. Absolutely shocking. And the reason for this is because up to this point in Genesis, God has said repeatedly that everything he has done has been good. Seven times in Genesis chapter one alone, Seven times we read that God looked at what he had created and saw that it was good in the sense that he was satisfied with his work and that it was completed. But here, now, we read in Genesis 2.18 that when God looked at Adam, he said something was not good. Not good. Now, it wasn't that God was disapproving of his work in creating Adam, but rather that his creation of Adam was incomplete because something was missing. And what wasn't good about Adam and his situation was that he was alone. God said it was not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for him to be alone. 
Now, this is very interesting. Very interesting because if you think about Adam's situation before Eve was created, it would appear that he had everything that he needed. After all, he enjoyed a perfect relationship with God. Sin had not entered into the world yet. So he had a perfect relationship with God, perfect fellowship. Nothing was wrong. He had a perfectly gorgeous home. He had the Garden of Eden before the fall. And he had the most wonderful job. He took care of the perfectly lush Garden of Eden, which was free of weeds at that point. And yet with all of these great things going for Adam, God declared that it wasn't good for this man to be alone. Question is, why not? Why not? How could Adam be in a not good condition when he lived in a perfect world, had a perfect job, and enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Almighty? I mean, who needs anything else when you've got all these things going for you? Well, Adam did. And there's a reason for this. If you look once again back at Genesis 1.26, this is the reason. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. But notice the beginning. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now notice here that as God is about to create Adam, he says that he was making man in our image and according to our likeness. Who is God talking to? And why does he speak of himself in the plural rather than in the singular? Well, some have interpreted this to mean that God was addressing angels in his heavenly court. That's not true. Man wasn't made in the image of angels, nor is there anything in Scripture that indicates that angels were involved in the creating of humans. The most plausible explanation is that this is a reference to the Trinity, the triune Godhead, the one true God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are having a conversation between themselves. And they are declaring that they're about to create man in their image and their likeness, which does not mean that man will physically resemble God because God is invisible. God is spirit. To be made in the image of God means that man resembles God in his personality and in his nature. Now think about this. If each member of the triune Godhead, if each of them know and love each other, and have a special relationship with each other, which they do, then it only makes sense that God created man in his image, watch this, to also have special relationships. But here's Adam, all alone in his perfect world, with his perfect job, and his perfect relationship with God, but it is not a good situation for him. And the reason it's not good is because he's missing that special companion who he needs. It's been said that if it wasn't for marriage, men would go through life thinking they were perfect. Well, we're not, we're not perfect, are we? Adam was perfect, though, for a while. And yet, even before Adam sinned, he was incomplete. He was designed to enjoy a special kind of relationship. Eve provided that relationship. We are created in God's image, so we need that special relationship that goes way beyond just friendship, romance, or even passion. 
As the years roll on, I'm coming to increasingly appreciate my wife for the way she fulfills that role, and I hope I'm doing the same for her. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to visit Lakeside some Sunday, I know Pastor Steve would enjoy meeting you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Call 727-441-1714 for directions and service times. Or browse over online to Lakeside's website, lakesidechapel.com, for a map and even more information. The number again is 727-441-1714. To listen again to today's lesson or any of our previous broadcasts, go to versebyverseradio.org and click on the message archive link. And if the Lord is prompting you to help support Verse by Verse financially, there's a giving page available with information about giving and a link to a safe means to give online. And we thank the Lord for the generous listeners who help make these radio Bible classes possible. This is Jerry Peterson. Have you ever noticed that society has a warped view of marriage? In the books and movies, it's all about passion, romance, and sex. But those are not the essential glue that holds two people together. The glue is faithful friendship, always being there for the other person, always trusting, open, and selfless. Pastor Steve will have more about that when we meet again for the next Verse by Verse. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.